Uh, Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you do lead us. God, I ask that in our time together, uh, our hearts would be engaging yours. You would change us and make us more like Christ. For it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your Bibles and go ahead and jump to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16 is where we're going to start. We're going to have three different passages we'll be in this morning. Um, just because we're going to keep it interesting. That's the theme of the morning, is we're trying to keep it interesting. And uh, so far, things have been interesting at Uniontown Bible Church this morning. So um, we're just going to pray that nobody else gets to see it, and we just get to make little jokes about it later. Um, but as you're turning there, let me jump in there. After receiving, oh, let me get this right, 44 different questions, 555 total votes, the summer series has been set for the Ask Anything preaching series for the summer. Um, we'll spend some time this week laying out the schedule for you, just so that you know what's happening, along with some explanation for each of the topics, and then we're going to work on dealing with the 35 questions that we won't preach on, but you asked. Uh, we're still going to answer those questions, and so we're going to start working on those, but uh, the nine topics have been set. Um, I would like to thank all of you for keeping the summer interesting. Um, we're starting with we're starting with something not so easy, uh, pretty heavy. And next week's topic is what is the biblical teaching about abortion? Is it ever appropriate for us to consider human life to not be life? I say that this morning to give you a heads up that that's what we're talking about next week for a couple of reasons. Um, I don't want anybody shocked when they come in. And I don't want you to avoid next week because you're afraid it's going to be something that's going to beat you up. Intentionally next week we are going to begin by looking at a story that is filled with graciousness and kindness because I believe... One of the things that the church today has lost is the radical kindness of Jesus Christ towards those who have fallen before. And so this morning, in a group this size, the nat national statistics, and, and okay, so let's just be honest. We are Uniontown Bible Church. We are not national statistics, and we're in Carroll County, so we're not exactly, you know. So... National statistics really don't apply here very often, and, and I, I think this would be an overstatement. In, in the average across the country in a, in a church, the uh, statistic is one out of three women in a church um, have had an abortion in their past. Well, I don't think that's probably our statistic here in a church our size. There is undoubtedly dozens. And, and I do not ever want to communicate something that Jesus never communicated, which is, you'll never get past that one. Instead, we want to communicate the radical kindness of Jesus as he did with the adulterous woman. Huh. Where'd your accusers go? Well, good. Then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. That's the context of next week. So I just wanted to make sure you were aware of that. Um, doesn't get a whole lot easier from there, just to be honest with you. So like I said, thanks for keeping my summer interesting. Um, 
I went up, I, I went to a seminary this week to spend some time away to kind of prep for that series. And I had all, the, all of the books out and I'm doing all this stuff. I looked like quite the nerd. I was very impressed with myself. Um, and uh, a fellow who was taking a class there walked into the library and saw everything laid out. And he's like, hey, how are you? And he introduced himself. It's like, oh, good, good, good. And he's like, so are you, are you writing a book? Gosh, no. Worse. I let our church ask questions and I'm supposed to answer them. And he was like, what were you thinking? I have no idea. So, um, however, um, as God would have it, um, I had a fantastic time away this week preparing for that series. And I'm enthusiastic about answering a lot of the questions, including, so what is the biblical role of women in the church? What does the Bible teach about predestination and free will? I mean, did God really foreordain certain people to spend eternity in hell? What about those who never hear the gospel? What about children who die too young to make a profession of faith? Those are just a few of the easy ones. Um, so with that in mind, today we're going to talk about a favorite church topic, giving. Everybody's just so excited about that, right? You can feel the cynicism just rise up within everyone, like, here we go. How much is your jet going to cost, Frank? Um, <laughs> so I'm going to be serious. I'll be honest. Um, your cynicism is well-deserved. We've done a horrible job as churches communicating what giving is all about. Today is not a day to guilt anybody into giving. That was last week when we took the second offering, for those of you who are here. <laughs> hey, it worked. It was effective. Um, nah. We're not, uh, that's purely a joke for those of you. But anyway, um, it's not to guilt anybody. And it, what I really want to approach this as is this. We're trying to answer the question, why do Christians do such weird stuff? And if giving away a portion of your salary isn't weird, I don't know what is. Because we don't live in a culture, in a society where that's natural, do we? If you need evidence, go spend some quality time in our toddler room and provide them with one less toy than there are toddlers. It is not in our nature to give, it's to keep. And so simply, I want to answer the question, some of you here may be uh, just visiting and wow, you picked a great day. Um, I don't want you to leave here and be like, all they want is money. No, 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 no. I want you to leave here and, and know this. Our giving, our generosity is really about how the love of God changes our hearts and creates a response in us that's marked by giving and generosity. That's what I want you to leave here knowing. So why, why do Christians give? I'm going to start with this. Giving is a biblical idea. Generosity is a biblical idea. There's all kinds of discussion about the Old Testament tithe and the New Testament. Does it carry over? Blah, blah, blah. I'll just tell you this. If you want to be one of those people who fights for the Old Testament tithe, be careful what you fight for. The Old Testament tithe, the traditional 10% off of the top of your uh, income, was just the starting point. As you study the Old Testament and the giving of the Old Testament people, what you find is they usually gave closer to 20 to 25% when everything was included. So just be careful about dying on that hill. You may be shooting yourself in the foot. But giving is a biblical idea. Deuteronomy 16, let me just give you the context before I land where I, where I want to land for this part. Uh, I want you to understand that why, do, why does a Christian give? A Christian gives because they see it as an act of worship. 
So Deuteronomy 16 lays out three different feasts or festivals uh, for the Old Testament people. And as they're walking through, it starts with the festival or the feast of Passover or unleavened bread. We've already spoken about that pretty much at length in the last few months here. The reminder that as the children of Israel were in Egypt, that, that God's last plague on the Egyptians to gain the attention of Pharaoh who had hardened his heart against God and, 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 and trying to lead his people out of Egypt, what, what God did was on that last plague, he said, you need, Israelites, you need to go get a lamb and you need to slaughter it and you need to get all the leaven out of your house. And then you take the blood of that lamb that you slaughtered and you put it on the doorpost. And this night, the angel of death is going to pass over the land of Egypt and the firstborn of every home is going to be dead by morning. And you know how the Israelites obeyed God. They saw God's provision, and their houses were spared. God led his people out of Israel, but they were to, uh, sorry, out of Egypt, and then they were to continue observing that feast, that festival, that event, that ceremony. And so those first verses here in chapter 16, uh, you walk through, and he talks again, he's giving um, further instructions for the future observance of this feast. You're supposed to sacrifice the Passover animal, which is verse. Six, uh, only at the place where the Lord your God chooses to have his name dwell. Do this in the evening as the sun sets, the same time the day that you departed from Egypt. That the whole idea there is this is supposed to be a reminder of God's deliverance. And then at the very end, I, I love the end of verse 8. Well, not only observe this Passover meal, but do not do any work. Now, it's not because I'm lazy that I like that verse. Okay. But what it points to is God saying, what I want you to do is I want you to observe this feast, this festival, and I want you to remember not only how God delivered you from Egypt, but then I want you to stop and leave the rest of it up to God too. So it's a reminder of the deliverance by remembering and resting. And then you continue into one that we're probably not as familiar with, the festival of weeks. The idea is you start counting Seven weeks from the moment, verse 9 tells us, from the time the sickle is first put to the standing grain. So seven weeks after that first sickle is used to start gathering the grain, seven weeks later you are going to have this huge feast as a people and you're going to celebrate God's blessing of crops. You're going to celebrate what God has brought in in that harvest. You get to verse 10, you're to celebrate the festival of weeks to the Lord your God with a free will offering that you give in proportion to how the Lord God has blessed you. It's a gift that's not torn out of you. It's not a gift of exaction. It's not a gift that's mandated upon you. It is a free will gift that you bring, and it has to do with how much God has given you. You give proportionately. Celebration of God's blessing that everybody is to celebrate. And that leaves us to the last one, the Feast of Booths, which I find interesting because the first time I heard that, I thought it said Feast of Booze. That's a different feast, okay? Um, but then I find interesting is then they changed it to the Festival of Shelters. I think that helps us understand that booths, shelters, uh, uh, the tabernacle, different things like that. That The idea is when God led them through the wilderness, he continued to provide them um, housing. He provided a, a roof over the head. Um, and, and so this festival is celebrating the, the harvest of the crops, the harvest of the fruit, as well as a reminder of God's presence in the wilderness as he blessed them, and then he provided for them. So he gives them three different festivals, and these are specific ones, and I'm not going to go into all the details there, but, but he says, God, as you consider God's acts for you, as you consider the Passover, as you consider the, the crops that have, you come, have come in for you, as you consider the, the fruit harvest as well as God 
God's abiding presence with you in the wilderness, as you consider those things and you're reminded that he is God alone, that he's the source of all the blessings in your life, the, the ones that are most obvious to the ones that are not so obvious. And as a result, these are the three times you should show up. And here's the instruction. Look at chapter 16, verse 16. All your males are to appear three times a year before the Lord your God in the place he chooses, at the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of weeks, and the festival of shelters. No one is to appear before the Lord empty-handed. As you consider what it is that God has done for you, why would you go into his presence empty-handed? We, we, we've all been given to. In fact, he proves that verse 17. Everyone must appear with a gift suited to his means. So it's not a tax. There's no percentage. There's no exact amount. It's not a bill. Everybody must appear with a gift suited to his means according to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. Has God given you anything? It is an act of worship. It is an act of rebellion to arrive before God without anything in your hands. So we give not because it's mandated. We give because it's an act of worship. Look at Mark chapter 12. We give not only because it's an act of worship. We give because it reflects faith in God's provision. Mark chapter 12, verse 41, you have the, the, the moment where you kind of get some commentary on Jesus sitting outside a treasury. He's sitting outside the treasury of the temple. He's, he, we, don't, we don't know. I mean, he's been teaching. Maybe he's unwinding a little. Maybe the, the boys are hanging around him. The disciples are all there, and they're kibitzing a little. And Jesus, and, and I don't know if you have a friend. I have a, actually, it's my father-in-law. My father-in-law does this. I don't know if you've ever hung out with somebody who all of a sudden you look at them, and they're not there anymore. Their eyes are like, and you're in the middle of a deep conversation, it's actually somewhat unsettling. Like, did, did, okay, um, are you being possessed right now? P perhaps you've been carried away by the Spirit. I I'm not sure. I think in this moment, Jesus is sitting across from the treasury, and the guys are all talking, and they're all discussing these teachings that he's been giving, warning the scribes, warning the Pharisees, and they look at Jesus, and they notice that he is staring across the courtyard at the treasury. Look at verse 41 of Mark chapter 12. Sitting across... From the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums. So let me give you a little background. The treasury would have been on the outside, in a common area outside the temple. And around that area, there would have been 13 different baskets for people to bring their offerings. Now, uh, they weren't like baskets like we passed for the offering. They weren't like square baskets. Their baskets were shaped like trumpets. So the large end going down, funneling down to the small end. And so what would happen is above each one, they were, they were marked and tagged for what each gift was for. So there were a number of them that were marked for free will offerings. There were some that were marked for gold for the mercy seat, uh, purchasing wood, purchasing doves, frankincense, you know, all the different things that they might purchase at the temple were all, were all spread out there. And so people would come with their money and they would dump it into the, the bell of a trumpet and it would fall down to the more narrow part. And it says here that as Jesus was watching, there were many rich people who were coming and putting in loud sums. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, it doesn't say, it says they're giving a great amount. It doesn't say they're doing it with great fanfare. It doesn't say they're trying to gather everybody's attention. But you can imagine in a society and a culture that does not have paper money, they don't have plastic, they got coins. Coins going into a, 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 a hard, 
offering box. And being in that shape and with some length to it, when you dump your coins into it, it makes a little bit of a noise. So Jesus is noticing these wealthy people. And again, they're not doing it for show. uh, There's no judgment on these people. But it's certainly a contrast to what happens next. Get to verse 42. Then a poor widow came. And she dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. So, So take our pennies. This Dimes are actually smaller than pennies, even though they're worth more than pennies, which makes no sense, just in case. Did you get that? I just figured that out. Was, that was, come on. Come on. I, I should just pray and go home. That was the best I'm going to get. So, um. <laughs> so, so, so dimes are probably more the size of this mite that the, the widow brings. And she brings two of them, and they're the most, most insignificant coin in the treasury at the time. And she walks to those offering baskets and she drops them in. Just two. Think it's a contrast? You start with, with a handful of coins coming out of somebody's uh, uh, um, hand or a side purse there that the men would carry and dumping it in. And then you get this, two, this little widow comes up and just clink, clink, and Jesus notices. In verse 43, he says, I'll tell you this. That poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. See, they gave out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty and has put in everything she has, all that she has to live on. Jesus says that they gave out of their abundance and she gave out of the poverty. It doesn't mean that what the wealthy ones were giving didn't count. He's just trying to make the point that when the wealthy ones are coming with pocketfuls of change, and they see the offering basket, and they reach into one pocket and empty the contents of one pocket, they have another pocket. But the widow sees it and brings all that she has. When she gave that, she felt it. It was a heart issue for her, though. It wasn't about how much she could deduct on her taxes next year. It was, I will gladly give all. He's given it to me already. That's why he, it's, a, it's a verse that we, we mention many times, but I don't think we understand. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Why? Well, be satisfied with what you have. Because God's already said to you, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. The whole point of that verse is don't cling to money like it's going to give you that, that, that safety vest when you fall in the water. That money's going to do nothing for you. Don't cling to it. Be satisfied with what you have because God's already promised you're going to have exactly what you need because I'm never leaving you. I'm never forsaking you. So why do Christians give? They give as an act of worship. Why do Christians give? They give because it's a reflection of their faith in God's provision for them. Now the, the last text that I want you to turn to is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In chapter 9, we'll kind of dabble in both there. If you ever want to study the uh, theology of giving, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is the place to do it. Paul walks through this whole situation with the Corinthian church, and he's talking about an offering that is coming from a group of churches called the, the Macedonian churches. These churches weren't exactly mega churches of the time. They weren't living in a and thriving in a, a culture that was just so incredibly wealthy. They were barely getting by. They're talked about at the beginning of chapter 8 as being uh, in severe trial, which is brought about by affliction. Their extreme poverty. 
So, so the things that are being said about these churches in Macedonia is the, these people are really struggling to get by. And yet, as you read chapters 8 and 9, what you find is in their extreme poverty, they have an abundant joy. In their extreme poverty, they are overflowing in a wealth of generosity. They're giving not only what they're able to, but he says in verse 3, they're even giving beyond their ability to give. There's a generosity that is flowing out of these people. And so, so Paul's talking about those churches that are giving. And so he says, listen, I want you, Corinthian church, to understand what's going on. Yeah, well, so, so, so what is, is, is happening here? So look, look with me in verse 7. He commands to the Corinthian church this. Now, now you, Corinthian church, you excel in everything. Faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, your love for us, which I love the way Paul starts that. Listen, you guys are awesome. You do everything well. I mean, you speak well, you study well, you know a lot of good theological things, a lot of good doctrinal things. You, you, you're diligent, you work hard, you love us so very well. I want you to excel also in this act of grace. I want you to be excellent in giving as well. So why do Christians give? Christians give because it's an act of worship, because it reflects our faith in God's provision. Christians give because we are driven by a proper understanding of what grace actually is. So let me, let me define grace. Grace is the unconditional, unearned, undeserved kindness of God to us through Jesus Christ. That's grace. And because of God's unconditional, unearned, undeserved kindness and goodness to us through Jesus Christ, because of that, we can understand grace. And he explains it in verse 9. See, you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. See, we are driven by a proper understanding of grace as we give. Even though he was rich, he's talking about Jesus, even though he was rich, you know the story of Jesus Christ who was equal with God in heaven, worshipped by angelic beings with his Father in perfect fellowship. That's rich. I mean, this isn't talking about a financial status. He's talking about a, a relational status. Jesus was perfect in glory, yet for your sake he became poor. So take all the glory that is God's and exchange that to be born to a teenage mom living in a place that everybody talks badly about. To have a stepdaddy named Joseph who nobody even really knows. To, to have people show up to worship you upon your birth. People of low class, low esteem. People, people who weren't allowed to go into the, the temple to worship because they were always unclean. And bringing you gifts. I mean, trinkets. Compared to what you were being worshipped with in glory. He says, Jesus Christ, who was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Now again, this isn't just a financial status. It's deeper than that. He became poor. That's 2 Corinthians 5. He, he became sin for you. The one who knew no sin, he was rich. He became poor for you. He became your sin. That's a move towards poverty. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might be rich. 
He became sin who knew no sin, that in him you might be made the righteousness of God, so that you might be rich. The one who had everything made himself nothing. The, 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 the one who had everything assumed man's debt and paid for it with his life. He became what we were so we could become what he is. That's grace. And when you understand that grace, there's a level of generosity that pours out of you because you understand how undeserved, unearned that grace is. <laughs> so we give because it's an act of worship. We give because it, it models our faith in God's provision. We give because we're driven by an understanding of grace. We give because we are motivated by the promised reward. Did you know that there is a reward that is promised for those who give? Now, you're going to have to stick with me. Because if you believe um, certain, I won't, this isn't the time to name names. If you believe certain preachers that are out there, what they will say is your gift of $50 will be rewarded with $100. There's your reward. If you would uh, invest this seed of faith money, all right, the, the, the biblical response to that, if you ever hear that, is... <laughs> actually better than what I've written in my notes. So, so please understand this. When I say that there is a promised reward to our giving, this is not the false teaching and heresy that is the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel isn't a gospel. There's no truth to it. There's no hope in it. God does not desire that you have more money. God's greatest concern for you isn't that you invest something and get an amazing return on your dollar. His highest goal for you isn't perfect health. No struggles at all. Everybody likes you. Man, just, just look through church history. You look, look through church history, you do not see the saints of old live in large. Look at the, the global church today. Look at places like North Korea where faithful followers of Jesus Christ are sitting in prison emaciated because they won't recant their faith. This, this church in 2 Corinthians 8, the Macedonian church, I mean, they're giving above and beyond what they're able to give. And, the, and you know what came? More affliction. More difficulty. The false teaching of the prosperity gospel would look at the early church, the persecuted church, this Macedonian church, and say, you know, if they just had more faith, um, the words of Jesus, you find your life in Jesus, you'll lose it. Take up your cross and follow me. They hate me. Man, they are really going to hate you. Sell all your possessions. Give. Where, where does Jesus say, if you just had more faith, everything would be perfect? See, the problem then is your salvation, your provision is about you because it's your faith. Wrong. About the God your faith is in. What they do is they take this principle and they twist it. They... they, they they twist it. Look at, look at 2 Corinthians 9. I'll show you the principle that they twist. 
Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. So let me read that again. The point is this, verse 6 of chapter 9. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. What they do is they take that principle and they twist it. So they say, okay, you sow a little, you reap a little. You sow much, you reap much. Now, that principle is an accurate principle. That is a universal principle. If you sow and plant a number of seeds, your harvest is going to be larger than if you planted less seeds, right? that's, That's logic. That's not difficult. That's a universal principle. And that principle is true in giving as well. The problem is, they look at that and say, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you reap generously. They look at that and they say, see, it's an investment in your portfolio. Wrong! They didn't finish reading. You got to get away from the investment thinking when you, when you think about giving. It ain't a 401k strategy. And I'm going to tell you this right now. Here's the problem with it. You are selling yourself short. You, you, you want material prosperity? Why would you settle for that? We're promised something that is far greater than that. That the outcome of generosity is so overwhelming and, and so big that the blessing you get from sowing a huge amount isn't a couple of lousy dollars in your account. You want to see what it is? Let's, let's look at this. Each person, verse 7, should give Uh, should do as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. You want to know what the blessing is that you receive out of generosity? You get the very smile of God. Don't misunderstand. Um, God's not going to love me more because I tithe. I may love you. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Joke. Had to break some of the tension. Probably shouldn't have done that. I apologize. Now, God, God doesn't love me more because I tithe. God and I are good because of what Jesus did for me already. God and I are good because Jesus pushed me out of the way and took my place on the cross. Jesus, God and I are good if my trust is in Jesus, and it is. Is yours? That's what makes you and God good, not giving a certain amount. My generosity, my giving isn't gaining me a standing before God. I've been given that standing already through Jesus. It's, it's, it reminded me last week. So um, Father's Day, hope you all had a wonderful Father's Day. But if you go back when my kids were much younger, a little bit today, but not as much, um, Father's Day was kind of a weird day for me um, because they would be so excited about the gifts that I um, purchased for them to give to me. <clears throat> it's like, that's so awesome. I mean, I know it's the thought that counts and well, you know. You could have spent a little more. <laughs> um, but it's my money already, so it's this weird thing that happens, right? It's like, Happy Father's Day! Thanks, let's put it back in my wallet and let's move on. I mean, it's this weird... But that's the way it's with God, too. It's like, here, God, uh, don't you love me now? Not because of what you gave me. I mean, I, there, there are times, and I know that... This is not biblical. <laughs> it's probably never good when your pastor says that. I, st- I cannot imagine being in eternity and not getting smacked upside the head by God once. Be like, did you seriously think that? I'm going to do it in love. Come here. <laughs> hey, there's no pain in heaven. You're fine. Um, 
Because it is, we, we do such foolish things like, God, look what I gave you, now you like me. No, I love you because of Jesus. Get that through your thick head. Being a faithful and generous giver of what God has given me by planting those seeds, I get to harvest God's delight. Now, I mean, I was talking stuff about this last night. I have a desire to, to, to put a smile on Stephanie's face when I give her something. Now, I don't want a ho-hum response. And so if I don't want to, sure, fine. That's nice. Uh-uh, I don't want that. And, and so I would do well to pay attention. Pay attention before her birthday and before Christmas and not have to call my kids and be like, what does mom want? I mean, that's, that's cheating. But I'd do well to pay attention and if I pay attention to my wife, you know what I hear? <laughs> Things like miter saw and Craig jig. Things that I have to Google. Now, how stupid would I be to hear those things and know those things about my wife and what would put a smile on her face and at her birthday hand her pearls? And then be disappointed because she says, oh, thank you. She gave me the cheat sheet. If she said that was going to make her happy, why wouldn't I do it? See, if God says, that puts a smile on my face. He says he's pleased by it. If he's so specific and so very simple in his explanation of it, why do we hold back? There's two reasons, and I was mentioning them. I'm not even going to dive into them. The two reasons are because we've moved ourselves into the seat of the one who should be being pleased. I'm way more, <laughs> I don't know what this says about me, I'm way more comfortable buying my wife pearls, partly because of the way it appears, than walking out of the Home Depot with a new miter saw. This is for my bride. <laughs> but that's because I'm the one that wants to be happy. We've moved ourselves into that seat. We also fail to remember what's been done for us and what we deserve versus what we actually have. So I know Christians do some weird stuff, so why do we give? We give because it's worship. We give because it demonstrates our faith in his provision. We give because it's an overflow of thankfulness for the grace we've been given. We give because we long to put a smile on God's face. Those are the biblical reasons Christians give, but there's more, and this is it's going to be more pragmatic, more practical. Giving and generosity are appropriate responses to the needs and the mission of the local church. We're not going to dance around that or tiptoe around that. So um, I've asked two guys that they would come, our chair of the elder team and our executive pastor, Andy Mark. Why don't you guys come up? I'll dribble on while you walk up here. Um, we believe that God has placed us here as a church to glorify him. That's our purpose. And we desire to be a church that loves God most and loves others best. And that'll play itself out as we intentionally share the gospel of Jesus Christ through serving and building relationships in our community and beyond. So, so we're convinced of that, not just because we stuck it on the wall and we're stuck now, we have to believe that. 
We're convinced and convicted that that's what God wants us to do. So in order to accomplish that, we need to continue to evaluate where we're at in it. So sincerely, to accomplish our mission and vision, our finances play a role in that. The finances can't be seen as the, the greatest problem or the greatest solution. It's just a tool in the toolbox. It's what allows us to accomplish what we think God's calling us to accomplish. What is it God's called us to? To love God most, love others best. To intentionally share the gospel of Jesus Christ through serving and building relationships in our community and beyond. And, and what I've asked these two to do is just share with you a little bit of how we're seeking to do that. So Andy, I think you're up first, man. So one of the way, excuse me, one of the ways we fulfill that uh, our mission to love God uh, most, love others best, um, we feel God has called us to be a sending church. Um, what that means is uh, um, we are praying that God, through the next five years, will take ten people from this church and send them. And that means send them out into the uh, farthest corners of the world. Uh, that means to send them out in our communities to share the life-transforming truth and love of Jesus Christ. So um, how, can, how can you be a part of this? First off, you can go. You want to be one of those 10 that uh, goes? I, I hope we hit more than 10. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm saying it wrong. 50. You want to be one of the 50? Um, yeah. You want to you want to go? Go. That's fantastic. Be be one of the ones who go. If you feel like that's not the call that God's got on your life, then you can invest in some of the ones that are going. Uh, how do you invest? You invest financially. Uh, you in, invest in, in them personally uh, by praying for them and and supporting them. Um, so an, another way you think, well, maybe that, maybe that's not uh, where I fit. Another thing you can do, you have influence. Uh, find a younger, um, a younger believer around you and, and mentor them, uh, pour into them, disciple them, influence them to go out and share the love of Jesus with others. So, and one thing we can all do together, we pray that, um, that God would provide for us the resources that we need to be a sending church and that we would take full advantage of every resource that he does provide for us. So Frank asked me to kind of share a little bit more of the strategy and the practical things that we're doing here at Uniontown. Um, and so one of the areas that we've had as a need in this congregation for quite some time is the area of adult discipleship, education, and connection. And um, what have we done with that area in the last uh, couple years? Well, we've launched 41 community groups, um, and we plan to expand that in the fall with some more community groups and another community group fair. Um, community groups are the primary means for adult education, discipleship, and connection for adults today. Um, we've also provided seminars like the parental guidance seminar and so forth, and we plan on doing more of that in the coming year. However, the elder team this year has decided that we're going to step out on faith. And we know that this is an area that we really need to concentrate on. And so we're going to be hiring a new full-time pastor to cover these areas specifically. Um, this pastor is going to take our community group ministry and expand it, create a class structure, work with our connections manager, Chris, to help people connect in ministry and deeper relationships. Um, this person's going to have a proven track record of 
creating systems and processes to enhance that area of our church. Why is that important? Well, it's our goal when we hire people here that they don't come and do the ministry, that they come here and they enable and equip all of you to be on mission with Jesus. So this year, we increased our budget 10% to make that happen. Um, there's three different reasons. First, we wanted to include that additional salary that we need to do. Second, uh, because of our growth, we need to increase our ministry budgets to meet the demand. And third, we wanted to ensure that we would keep our global and local outreach budgets at 10% of the overall budget of our church. One other area I want to just briefly address is our building. Um, God has graced us with this awesome building in so many ways. However, with our growth, um, it makes it difficult to house our current education needs as well as let alone our growing ideas uh, for adults, kids, and youth. Um, we need a new education wing to this building. Uh, we have it designed. The new building would have a mini auditorium for functions like smaller funerals, large classes, give us more options for children's programs on Sunday morning, a room that fits about 150 to 175 people. It would have an entire space dedicated to our youth ministry. Uh, that's a huge need. If you're here or you have kids in youth ministry, um, we're cramming like 70 plus smelly, sweaty teenagers into this teeny little room over here, um, let alone not having enough space for activities and so forth. We'd be able to add five more classrooms for our children and a whole new nursery, toddler, and preschool section, an expanded lobby so that you guys can fellowship more, more bathroom space. And finally, it would have a dedicated space for adult education. Um, an area roughly 1,700 square feet that can house either two, three, or four classrooms based on our needs. Okay, I'm telling all this to you because that, what I just talked about, is not currently in our budget. So if you have a big chunk of money and you want to give towards that, by all means, don't stop. In fact, the staff makes fun of me because my motto is, if you're writing a check to the church, just add a zero. I'm just kidding, kind of. Um, no, the purpose of me telling you this is because we believe that the building and these additional staff roles are needed to help us equip the people who call Uniontown home for life and for ministry. This creates questions, intentionally so, I know that. So we'll be having a meeting later in the summer where we can provide more details, dream together, pray together, share ideas, and celebrate what God is doing. God has enabled us to do so many amazing things already, right? Impacting our local community in great ways, supporting global partners across the globe who are seeing fruit for the kingdom, providing excellent Sunday morning experiences to connect with God and others, community groups for those who want to go deeper, counseling programs, awesome children's programs, a growing and exciting youth ministry, exciting summer camps. We have these goals and desires to do what we think God has called us to do, but God hasn't provided the money for them yet. Maybe he's calling you to be a part of that. Listen to what the Bible says about what God owns. 1 Corinthians 10, 26, for the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Haggai 2, 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Psalm 50, 10, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Hebrews 3, 4, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. What you're saying when you give to Uniontown Bible Church is this, God 
I want the world and those around us to know about Jesus. I want to give to Uniontown because I believe my money will be multiplied for the sake of people knowing Jesus, loving God most and loving others best. Can you imagine with me if all age groups were better equipped, discipled, plugged in, and connected with Jesus in a deeper way, what God might use this little church in the middle of nowhere of a cornfield to do for his name? Um, we, we could go on and on and on and on and on and on. We, we have um, almost two dozen global partners uh, who are serving worldwide. And, and uh, I mean, Appalachia, Native American nations, Brazil, Peru, Uruguay, New Zealand, China, uh, United Kingdom, Dominican Republic. I mean, you, you can go on and on and on and on. And what they're doing because of your giving is they're being resourced to intentionally share the gospel of Jesus Christ by serving and building relationships with those beyond our community. This isn't a fun drive, just so you know. This is um, the heart's cry of your elder team. We think we've done a fairly good job with the limited resources, limited building with what we've been given. But none of us want to stand before God and when he calls us to account for what we've done with the sheep that he's entrusted us with and say, we think we did a pretty good job. It's far more important than that. You know why? Um, It's not about our mission and our vision. We would put it in a way that you can say it so you can remember it. Love God most, love others best, and it's good. Intentionally share the gospel of Jesus Christ through serving and building relationships within our community and beyond. That's good, but it's not about our mission and vision. It's about God's mission. And ultimately, what God's mission is driving towards is that one day, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that he's Lord. God's mission and vision will be accomplished. But until that one day, it's going to be accomplished through his church. And we, we want to be that church. We, we want to be those people who are faithful to his call, who are, who are dedicating themselves to resourcing through generosity, the, 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 the discipleship, the training, the sending, the celebrating of what God's doing in the lives of men and women globally and locally. You know what drives us? Is knowing that we can bring a smile to God's face, which is pretty amazing, considering how far separated we were from him in our sin. And yet God, in his unconditional, unearned, and undeserved kindness to us through Jesus Christ, rescued us so that you and I might bring him the glory he deserves. Father God, thank you for entrusting us with these moments. Thank you for entrusting us with the resources. Thank you for entrusting us with the message of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't get distracted by shiny things. That we wouldn't get distracted by chasing new things. But Father, we would be captivated
with what it is you've called us to do. To preach the good news of Jesus Christ to any and all who will hear it. And Lord, I pray that you would challenge and convict each of us as we consider our giving. Lord, may we ask ourselves the hard questions. Are we really worshiping? Are we really trusting you? Are we being reminded of the grace that was shown to us? And and Lord, are we seeking to put a smile on your face or are we seeking to live comfortably? Father, help us to respond appropriately. And Lord, I pray that this morning uh, we wouldn't leave here thinking about money. But we'd leave here thinking about that precious gift that we've been given in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name I pray. Amen.